Welcome. This is Karen Modokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. Today, Laura Boyd is back, and we're having a conversation asking the question of compassion. Is that an excuse? I'll circle back with you after my conversation with Laura. Hello, Miss Laura Boyd. How are you today? I'm excellent. Good morning. Good morning, Corinne. You know I'm a morning person. So all of those people out there who aren't morning people, if they're listening to this in the morning, will be very excited. I'm just believing that to be true. You know, my morning person, most of my life I'd say I'm not a morning person, even though I was a swimmer who had morning practice. I've definitely developed into a morning person. And right now I am like struggling with just the mornings, not all mornings, but I think I'm just exhausted. So my cortisols are shot, but yeah, I don't identify as a morning person, but I do. I mean, I get up what at five or so. So this morning I happened to get up at two thirty-eight. Everybody I talk to, I feel like is in the same boat between two and three. It seems like everybody gets up. And I think, you know, there's a difference between getting up, but also being a morning person. Like when mm-hmm. I get up, my husband's like, I feel like, you know, where they bring the birds, the birds come and bring your robe and you get out of bed and there's like flowers everywhere and everybody else is like in the dungeon. That's me. Because <laughs> I I do, I get up, I go to the gym. I just, I don't know. And I don't get much sleep. I'm kind of a five hour person sleep. I used to be a five hour person sleep. I'm really working on seven. That's good. So I'm working on it. You're supposed to live longer that way. And I like to get up. I like to get up. <laughs> this is probably the overachiever in me. I like to get up ahead of the day. Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> right. I'd like to get started. Yes. <laughs> Corinne, I thought you were recovering overachiever. I am recovering, but I still fail. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Because I noticed like if I get up later in the day, I get kind of grumpy because I'm like, oh my gosh, all that wasted time. I could have gotten all this stuff done. Yes, that's the overachiever in me. <laughs> right. Well, and then I, I do like a sly comment to somebody in my family or something if they're sleeping and I'll be like, oh, I was starting to worry about you. That is such a passive aggressive, <laughs> like, wow, you're sleeping in. <laughs> Just awful. Let's not judge it. We we could just own it and laugh at ourselves, but there's no need to judge it because that just adds to the to all the shame and the issues. But yeah, I just realized that I mean, I do. I love I love getting up early and going to go work out, meet up a friend, go for a walk, whatever it is. I like to do that and get my day going, and it's way easier to do if I'm meeting up with somebody else versus it's something I can just do oh, I can just get myself up and go and read. Like there was a time I was doing that. I would get up at five because that would, I like to read at that time. That's not happening these days. I'll just stay in bed and keep thinking, oh, I'll I'll get up in 30 minutes. And those are miserable mornings when I do that. So 
took all Give that yourself to compassion. That <laughs> Good segue. But before we do that, I wanted to hear about your vacation because you kind of took a, vac- a couple of vacations since we last spoke and you were going to rejuvenate, renew, refresh, re-everything. So I'm excited to hear how it went. There's still more work to be done in the rejuvenate. This morning I was reading the book Burnout because I'm like, I need to go back and relook at some stuff. <laughs> yeah, so I it was the first time we went on vacation since COVID started. So since what, March 13th, 2020, while I had attempted to take time off at different times, there were things that I just was still working on. So throughout the last 18 months. So this is the first time away and our family finally felt comfortable enough to go away. So it was great because we went up to our annual road trip up to Big Sky, Montana. And actually back in 2018, it was declared by my family. It was our last time going. I think we went for 10 years and it was going to be our last time going. And then in 2019, we went to Australia and we were planning on being in Australia in 2020. But anyway, so we went back in 2021 and it was great. A teammate of mine from college lives there and Laura, it was fantastic. She just took care of us. She took care of me. Unfortunately, we weren't there that long. We were gone for seven days, but it's a day up travel and a day because we, sure. we did it in one day. We drove. She just, we just had a great time. We hiked. I slept a lot. You know, we ate really great foods. She used to own a restaurant, so she's this amazing cook. And because of COVID, we decided that, so one COVID, two, they have an employment issue in Big Sky, Montana. It's a resort community, right? They're really having a hard time finding employees, also having a hard time with just employee housing because the housing market there is crazy. So, you know, we had talked beforehand and she's going to Iceland right now. So we decided for us all to be safe, you know, we would test the, she tested, we became a bubble and we just stayed in our house and we went hiking and stuff. So we merged bubble. So that was actually great. And then we came back, moved my daughter to college And then after that, my husband and I went to Mexico and I can tell you now, because I did come back, I'm fortunate because I live in a town where we have saliva testing and it's free and it's in our community and we made the New York Times. We are so lucky to have it because with all the breakthroughs that are going on right now, it's really helping our community be on top of things. But so we did a couple of tests upon return. And so now we're phased out the window of, you know, it, it typically the rule was when you traveled within five days, five days afterwards, five 24 hour periods, you would get your test. And, and so, you know, we're negative before leaving Mexico, you have to test too. So those are the things that I get really concerned about. Like, did we pick it up? And so I was telling my girlfriend this morning, I said, there's something to be said maybe about wearing can 95 masks. You know, I mean, the thing about Mexico was we stayed at a really small hotels, 25 rooms, right? Oh, wow. That yeah. is small for Mexico. So- it was really small. And my goal was, I knew what my intention was. It was, I needed to see the Pacific Ocean. Like I just needed to see water. I was really clear about that. I want to be taken care of. I didn't need it. Wasn't interested in sightseeing, wasn't interested in shopping. It was like seeing the water, being taken care of and not having much to do. And the water was great. And I wound up upgrading our room. We got a pool. <laughs> In, yeah, so as part of your room. room. Yes. Nice. <laughs> so it's like, you know, if you think about for us and that live in the US, like when you get a suite, right? So you have your room and then you have like the family room, right? That we had our room and then we had a patio with our own little pool. And at first I thought, well, that's kind of ridiculous. Am I gonna really want to get in a pool and buy pools? 
but it was so great to know, like I could just jump in the pool in the afternoon, you know, and, and it was just a floating pool. And I would laugh with myself because I would do a little bit of head up brushstroke. I mean, I don't know. It was probably like eight yards. And so it was great. And the food, oh my gosh, the food was amazing. My husband told them, he said, this food is better than what I've had in France. Like it was, it was so great and fresh and just delicious. It was, so that was quite lovely. So now I'm a bit spoiled because now when we eat, it's not quite as good. And I'm like, huh. We actually did one day because they kept asking us, they said, well, have you gone down to the beach? And I'm like, no. So one day we actually did before I went to, I think, get a massage. We went down to the beach real quick and walked around and the water was really warm. I mean, which is so interesting because being in Northern California, it's so cold, the Pacific Ocean, and it was really warm. It was bathtub warm. And the people were nice. And the thing I have to say about being in Mexico is they wear masks, like even walking outside. So not just at the hotel, right, which is expected because of the tourism. But when we're driving back to the airport, everybody on the street was wearing a mask. I considered it like a sign of, I care about you and I care about me type of thing. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was lovely. It was a long way to travel just because of the way that the flights worked. It was good. So I'm glad that I did that, you know, because as you know, the listeners may not know, I had concerns about COVID. Is this a smart thing to do? Am I having COVID fatigued? And so then my executive function isn't working. Am I like just to hell with it, right? We're seeing a lot of those kind of decisions being made. And I really thought it through and we had trip insurance because I wanted to be able to just back out at the last minute, you know, things got really crazy bad. And so I'm really glad that I went. And that might be like, I don't want to call it the new normal because that sounds so cliche, but that may be how we have to travel, like, right, with with masks and stuff. And if that's how we can travel, I'm in. <laughs> I don't know. Right. I mean, I mean, we could get into a whole topic on that, but the good news is you went and you did, it sounds like you did get some rejuvenation and refresh and renew and all of those kinds of things. And of course, you're always working on it. Right. I mean, you're yeah, never going to yeah. stop. Well, and there was some stuff that came through. So I still wound up working about 30 hours that week. So yeah, so that was a little unfortunate, but I was an adult and I chose that. And then I finally did shut down. So the rejuvenated part probably didn't come through. There was the rest. And one of the things that I'm getting more clear of is I just, I need to take more time off. So, but then like this Saturday, now that we're moving soon in another week into being empty nesters, we're doing these kind of day things, these fun Saturdays, my husband and I, we were trying to outrun the smoke because California is on fire. And so we went out to Bodega Bay because we were just like looking at the map and finally went out to Bodega Bay, which is north of San Francisco. It's probably about two hours north of San Francisco. It was still smoky, but the AQI was better. So we went into the Pacific Ocean there, much colder. It was nice to, you know, get out of town because it was pretty depressing in where I live. So Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad you, you got away. One of the the blessings that we have is that we have a second home mm-hmm. on the lake. And so we do in the summer, I mean, in Minnesota, it is, you have literally like two to three months of nice weather. Mm-hmm. And so we try to get there every weekend in the summer because it is just waking up and being right on the lake and you're up North with all the trees and I mean, that's our time to rejuvenate. So it's so funny because I'm such a homebody, 
where I don't want to leave. And I can kind of have this resistance, like, really, we're going to do all this. And it's going to be such hard work. And there was the traffic was really bad on Saturday. And even like, you know, we were up on this top flat and my husband goes, let's go down to the beach. I'm like, why would we go down there? We can just look at the ocean from here. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You're super fun, Corinne. He's trying to get you to do adventures. And I'm like, I can see the ocean. Then if I bring go down there, my feet get dirty. I'm so funny. But anyways, the thing about it is that transition to go to the cabin. Do you get tired? from doing that, like packing up, unpacking? No, I, I think part of it is because all of our stuff is there. So there's not a lot of packing and unpacking because we just drive there. And it's only two hours for us to go. And all, I mean, literally everything's there. So we don't need to bring anything with us. Sometimes, you know, obviously stopping at groceries and such, but we've been doing it since 2006. So my kids know no different. It's so funny because I'm like, oh, it just sounds like a lot of work. But yeah, we, I guess that's just my own internal resistance of doing something new, right? Because. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, because my husband loves to go there to mow. So that is his, <laughs> you know, we have a yard here. I don't know. But for him, it's like, you know, he's dealing with his clients and all of the stock markets and all of that for all week. So for him, it's a time to kind of decompress too mm-hmm. and just sit on the mower and just mow. Mm-hmm. So, and this year we have such a terrible drought that he's basically mowing dirt. So there's just dirt everywhere in our house because he distilled mows, even though he really doesn't need to. <laughs> so, yeah. But that's kind of his, I mean, everybody's got their thing. Like Uh I could go for walks and just listen to podcasts just to be in nature and with trees or be out at the end of the dock and be on the lake or be on the pontoon, whatever it is. So everybody's got their thing and you got to just find what your thing is and keep doing it. Well, do you know about nature washing? So it's this idea that when you go out to nature, like you're, you're washing your brain, you're cleansing it. Right. So of all, think of all the noise, all the stuff that we go through during the week. And then it makes sense to go up to your cabin and get rejuvenated because you're disconnecting from all of that. Right. Even when he's on the mower, even though you have lawn at home, he's up there where there's that, that can be that potential space from the busyness of life and all the demands. So there's this idea that we have this energy from the nature, right. Where it can wash it. For me, it's, that's some of it. The other part is the water. Water's really, so water mm-hmm. washing as well, right? The, the soothing. I'm having a hard time when we were in Bodega Bay, we have a lot of dairy farms up in that area. So I don't know if you guys get like organic Valley milk and stuff, but those types of, you know, there's a lot of those farmers up there. It is so dry. It mm. is so dry. I'm like, holy moly, everything looks brittle. So for me, it wasn't a very cleansing, right? Because I, I think I, I like the more green. That's the beauty of Mexico. Mm-hmm. Everything was really green and, and lush. It's now really humid as well. And it did rain on us, but it is so green and vibrant versus the brown brittle. Like mm-hmm. I don't feel that's a washing. So it's interesting. Yeah, but yeah. And, and is there something called dirt washing? Because if, <laughs> if he is mowing <laughs> and I do get dirt washed while I'm sitting there. So... I'm not sure if there is something like that or not. Oh, you know, you got to love, you got to love. So the challenge then comes in the winter, especially Mm -hmm. for Minnesota. Mm -hmm. That's where we go away. 
So, because my understanding is in the Midwest, like, you know, I'm spoiled living in California my whole yes, life. Yes, you but are. In the, <laughs> in the Midwest, <laughs> like when you have that two or three months, it's like as soon as like the sun comes out, you guys are like, okay, let's go. Oh, right? for sure. We're going to be outside. And it, and it's so interesting because like when we were looking at the beach on Saturday, I looked at my husband. I was like, I just don't think I'm a really a beach person. I go, I don't see any shade. Right. So for me, I go, I think I'm a forest type of person. I like the trees. I like, I, I, cause I've spent so much time in the sun, right. Between being a swimmer, being a coach, I, I have just been out in the sun for so long that I really like the shade, but you guys sound like it's different for you all. Well, I think part of it is because you need vitamin D just in general. Mm -hmm. So if you live in Minnesota, a lot of times you're taking a supplement of vitamin D during the Mm -hmm. winter months because you don't get a lot of it. And so Mm -hmm. it's just as soon as that sun comes out, I mean, we'll take like below zero, 500. Okay. That's a little dramatic. (laughs) It just, but we will go below zero as long as the sun is shining. I think everybody's in such a different mood. Mm-hmm. Then when it's just gloomy and cloudy and, you know, I, I just think that sun does so much for us. No, I mean, I agree with that. Like one of the things that it'll be interesting this fall in California, depending because we're now in fire season, who would have thought that would have been a regular part of our seasons. But even just that Saturday, that overhang of that, it just feels like I feel like I'm in the Terminator movie, right? That just end of world. And we had it really bad last year. So you have kind of sun, but all that haze, it's it's just horrendous. And then I know for us in January, we have like two weeks or three weeks where we have, a we used to have a lot of fog, but they're just cloudy days. Mm-hmm. And then January is just a hard month in my town because of that. But again, it's two or three weeks, right? So we're pretty lucky that we have sun. Like today, it's bluish skies out there. Yeah. Right. And the good news for you is you're not also dealing with the slippery roads and all of the snow on top of the haze or the, Mm -hmm. the clouds. But you know, then you start to wonder why do we live here? Because it's such a great, it's so beautiful here too. There's so many people that love winter months here. Well, and then you leave and you go to the sun in the winter. Exactly. And you know, we don't know any different. I mean, because I've been born and raised here in this, type of environment or climate. And I don't know any different. So if you have the opportunity to go somewhere sunny, I think people take it. That's why I will see you like outside in the sun on a Zoom call. (laughs) And I'm like, there's not shade. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Strict sun. I do have sunscreen on though. I'm getting way too old not to have that. Because I'm back in the day with the tinfoil and the baby oil. Oh, yeah. That was no good. And the kids are smarter today. They don't do that kind of stuff. They're all sunscreen. No, I remember doing that, like getting ready for prom or for whatever the, you know, the dance was and trying to get rid of, for us, it was getting rid of a suit strap lines, right? Because we had all these tan lines already or the goggle marks. So yeah, I remember laying out of my deck outside of my bedroom and with baby oil on my chest, like, oh my goodness. Yes. So bad what we... (laughs) you know, do to our bodies to feel like we're beautifying us. Well, so speaking of bad, one of the things that we tend to do is we tend to beat ourselves up, right? We talk to ourselves really meanly. We judge ourselves. And one of the works that I talk a lot about with my clients or on the podcast is about having compassion. 
and we are going to talk about compassion. And is it compassion or is it an excuse? Yes. And it's interesting because I personally struggle with this. And I have to imagine most people that have the overachieving ability or just not even, when you use the word compassion, I think they feel like it is an excuse to not move forward or to not act a certain way or, you know, not be kind to another person, whatever it is, or not go for that role. I don't know. So I struggle with it myself, honestly, but I talk about it a lot. (laughs) So (laughs) a damn implementation. So what's the alternative? If, if, if compassion is an excuse, then what's the alternative? Beat yourself up. And how does that work? Well, for many years it was effective, but then there gets a point where you can't do it anymore. It's kind of like the baby oil. (laughs) Yeah. Good analogy, Corinne. That's so true. I was so excited because I I got to speak to 500 leaders on imposter syndrome last week. It's just a gift. I just had so much fun being in front of that group and just talking about imposter syndrome, which we've already talked about. But as part of the imposter syndrome, that compassion has to come up. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about until you can recognize that this is happening, like if you're beating yourself up and constantly beating yourself up as the alternative, there's got to be an end to it. You've got to find the end. And it's usually where you come crashing down. And that's kind of how I detected imposter syndrome, essentially, is I found there's a name for it. Right. So when you know that there's something out there that you're doing to yourself and you choose, you have the desire to change it because it's impacting you negatively, then you've got to have a plan in place. What's your commitment to it? So, what's your plan? Well, my plan is I have to actually catch myself because a lot of times I'll just go down this gladiating hole of you can't do this. Okay you've always been a procrastinator. You're going to continue to procrastinate. Your desk is messy. I mean, just everything. And then it just starts spiraling. And then for me, it's this weird orange hand, but it stops me from spiraling and says, okay, is this helping or hindering you? So I have to actually physically see something to stop some of those comments. And most often they're not very helpful comments. So that is where you start to show compassion for yourself. Like, let's get a check here. The word weird, do you put that on a negative connotation or a positive connotation? For that example of my hand is, it's neutral. As she grimaces as she says it. I don't know. (laughs) It's neutral to me. Some people might think it's weird and look at it negatively. But what if it's just an orange hand? Why does it have to be weird? I think it's interesting. Like, why do I need to see, first of all, a color? Like, who sees a color of a hand? And that's the one I see all the time. People also have, like, a different personality that stopped them, too. And then they name their personality, even that's been helping them. Mm-hmm. I've heard that a lot with clients. I'm like, wow, okay. Let's talk to Thelma or whomever, you know. So, yeah, I just wonder if you just said, like, I have an orange hand that comes up without defining it with an adjective of it needs to be weird or anything. Yeah, maybe. I wonder if that could put you into more compassion. Yes, I'm sure it could. I'm sure. 
I mean, that's a small example of it, but compassion more like when you keep having the same stories over and over and then you haven't really figured out how to stop some of those stories from happening. Mm -hmm. I think that's where compassion gets really challenging. Say more. Well, I just think that I think if you think of what compassion truly is for yourself, it's, it is sometimes giving yourself an excuse to be okay with not doing something or moving forward in a certain direction. So I wouldn't think of it as an excuse. I would think of it as a permission because I think an excuse, like if we go back to my idea of, are you rooted in shame or fear? Are you rooted in love or compassion? I kind of throw an excuse in the shame or fear versus permission is in the love and compassion of, you know, I give myself permission to read a book this morning saying, this is what I need to do right now. It is during working hours and it's reading a book. I mean, obviously it's in my field of work and stuff, but I could tell you this, you know, 10 years ago, I would never read a book for work during work hours. It's like, what am I doing? That's ridiculous. That should be done in the evenings, you know, or at nighttime. That should not be done work during work hours. And it's like, wait, what? Yeah. And sometimes I think permission sometimes. So here's a great example. When I work with clients like in manufacturing and they actually manage people, they'll say, well, somebody asked for permission to do something or to not do something. Am I just supposed to let them do it? And I just think that's an interesting question because if if you're leading someone in a work environment, how does permission and compassion fall into that? You know, similar to you. I mean, you you're your own boss, mm-hmm. but when you're working with a team. Well, I mean, there always has to be, you know, I'm not reading a book if I had a deadline or I'm not like, Oh, I'm going to read a book. And then guess what? I'm supposed to be recording with Laura at this time. And I'm just not going to go. Cause I don't feel like it. Like I thought about what is it that I knowing that I was really slow to the uptake, even though I've been out of bed since what five Oh five this morning. So it's not that I've just rolled out of bed and gone on this podcast with you. Right. But I've been up, I've worked out, I've eaten, I've drank coffee and going, okay, is the best use of my time to get on. And I know, I know enough now, like I don't get on and do email first thing in the morning. Like I, I checked in just a couple things. So I needed to check in with you, but what do I need to do so that I had good energy coming in here? And my energy was slow, right? I think it shifted over time, but that's why I went, Oh, I want to go and read this book because there's some stuff in there that I want to gather. And that's actually going to fuel me for a deliverable that I have right? With, with somebody else that I'm, you know, there's you and I, right? So there's your time as well. And I think that's really important. But the reality is, as an adult, I'm not okay with the consequence of it. So that's that distinguisher. It seems so slight between permission versus, oh, yes, you don't have to do this. But then what's the ripple effect on a team, right? When it comes to deliverable. Right. And I think that this is where I talk to leaders because I I think it's really important is if you think about what are the performance expectations for that particular role on that team. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times leaders feel like they're being compassionate because they've Mm -hmm. confused what that is. Mm -hmm. 
instead of really communicating the performance expectations. Mm -hmm. So then you got a whole cluster Mm -hmm. because nobody has stepped up to say, is that really compassion or is that really being clear about your expectations? Well, because people think compassion means like, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. We've got this. And then they're bubbling with resentment later on, right? Or they, you know, compassion is being kind, but compassion has boundaries. And that's always really, really important. Yes. Yes. Compassion. And with, with, you know, a team and leadership and with, again, when you go back to deliverables, if somebody on the team doesn't meet the deliverable, what's the effect on everybody else? Right. So like, we'll go back to like, even my travels, the last few weeks of, yes, I work for myself. So, and I, I can do most of my work virtually. I also lead the aqua monsters, right? So if my family gets COVID that impacts hundreds of people, right? Which is something that I don't, you know, I take very seriously. I have two daughters on collegiate teams. If I come home and I bring in COVID, then there's a ripple effect to them. And so you know, like one of the things that we did coming back, like when my daughter picked us up from the airport, we were all in can 95 masks, right? Because she didn't need the risk of having us. And that felt more comfortable than hiring a driver to pick us up, right? Because at least I had a little bit more control. And then when we merged in with my daughter at home, we were wore can 95 masks until we got the testing. Now we're really privileged because I live in a community where the testing is free it's easily accessible. And I was able to get two tests in one week, less than one week. Right. I realized most people can't like my girlfriend on Montana, when she went, they said to her, we think your insurance will cover it. If not, it'll be $150. And she looked at me and she's like, so what if people can't afford that? Right. Like the working class in big sky, they can't afford that. Right. So I, I get all of that, but, but there has to be with compassion, there are boundaries and what being aware of what do you bring? Like if you allow yourself that permission, like for me, I allowed myself permission to go on a couple of vacations, right? What are the potential risks that I could be exposing others to that could then affect them? The same thing for in the workplace, you know, the choices that everybody makes, What's the ripple effect? And I think that's what we're losing right now. Maybe at a, at a more heightened degree, maybe it's just more aware because, you know, we're seeing it, but it's like, oh, well, I can't do X. And then I see this with my clients and with teams of like, oh no, the team of people, like other people are overcompensating because this person can't get it done and their boss doesn't hold them accountable and says, oh, you have a really hard time and then just expects everybody else to carry it over time, that creates a very toxic culture with a lot of resentment, which then is also one of the contributing factors to the great resignation. Yes. So now we've come full circle on our initial podcast. Mm -hmm. And, And I agree with all of that. I think when you think of compassion, even for yourself, like if you look at yourself, if you're consistently giving yourself compassion for the same situation, is that still compassion or is that performance? Say more. For what same situation? So let's say I'm always a procrastinator. And so you think, okay, that's something I'm going to change because it impacts my team or however else it does. But And I keep saying, oh, I'm going to give myself compassion for that because I'm not good at organization or 
staying focused. I don't know. I'm making stuff up a little bit. <laughs> the the woman who does leadership organizational development, by the way. <laughs> I know, right? I'm just thinking, well, because procrastination is a part of imposter syndrome, right? That's kind of sometimes an outcome of that because you just think, well, if I just do it in the, the nth hour, then that's as good as it's going to be. And that's the perfectionism. Oh my goodness. It just keeps rolling. But anyway, <laughs> I'm just thinking if you keep giving yourself that same compassion for the same topic, is that an excuse or is that still giving yourself compassion? But what is that? You, okay. What if you just loved yourself and said, I'm a procrastinator. This is what I do. I like to create right. a lot of stress for myself. Yeah. Like no judgment. I mean, you do this to yourself, right? So then you're going to get less sleep. You're going to overwork. You're going to do all that stuff and just own it. Yes, Corinne, that's it. And the interesting thing is when we talked about this, I don't even know, one of our podcasts, we talked about Laura likes to work under stress. And I said, I'm recovering from that. (laughs) And then now I'm looking at it, I'm like, I'm just going to own it. Like that is who I am. And that's okay. I know that about myself. It is who I am. I don't really have compassion for myself around that, but I also don't need to beat myself up around it if I own it. I think that's be- the difference. As you've beaten yourself up, have you changed being a procrastinator? No. Yeah. So it's not working. <laughs> it's not working. That is so true. And I'm okay with it. I, I mean, as long as it doesn't impact my performance and it impact other people. I think that that's important to me as just a guiding principle is that so, I, I don't want my shortfalls to impact others. Well, and then you also learn how, what are the steps that you need to put in? So Brene has talked about this very publicly about how she's really not good at managing time, right? And she talks about it in Dare to Lead, she talked about it in all her books. Well, I've had firsthand experience about it <laughs> because on the very first interview I did with her, I kept waiting for her to call the studio and she didn't call. And it was so funny because Laura, prior to that, I'm such a control freak. And I actually like the word freak. Like I'm all about flying your freak flag high. Like, so for me, you know, I embrace being different until like probably last week when I was struggling with being different about stuff. But probably two or three months prior to my interviewing her, I finally let go and said, you know what? Instead of me calling them, I'm going to let them call the studio. That was like my thing. And she's not calling. She's not calling. It's like two minutes before we're live radio. I call her. She's like, oh, um, can we can we push it back for like 10 minutes? <laughs> I'm like, uh, it's live. Right. <laughs> you want me to do a song, dance? It would happen all the time when we would do interviews. And it was just like, okay, so sh- you own that story. And then what is the support that you need to put in there? Right. Right. And for me on the receiving end, not to put in a story of like, oh, I'm not important or she doesn't respect me. It's like, Brene's just not good at managing her calendar. She she maybe says yes to too much. Who knows? But she's just not good at that. We don't need to judge it. That's just who she is, right? So if I know that, what are the things that I want to do to make sure that we do start on time or whatever it may be, right? And so I learned a long time ago, and this is still a struggle. It's that getting out of bed in the morning. Because I do like, as we realized this morning, I do like to get up early, right? Because I like to get ahead of the day. But I also am really good if I have nothing like somebody to meet, right? Or a place that I actually have to be and I just have to be accountable to myself. I'll just stay in bed longer and I'll just stay in bed. And then I get really frustrated. 
So probably again, 10 years ago, I noticed I kept saying, oh, well, I'll just get up in 20 minutes. I'll just get up in 30 minutes. And instead of judging myself, I said, oh, note to self, this is what I tend to do. I can't tell you by switching it to that, to instead of like, Corinne, you're such an idiot. You can't follow through. You're not responsible to yourself. You're responsible to everybody else. You're not, you know, like that tape to, oh, note to self. That tweak changed it for me. It was like, oh yeah, I don't want to have a relationship with myself that way, right? I want to be somebody, if she says she's going to get up at this time, she does. And when I'm really clear with myself of what time I need to get up, I get up. It's when I'm not clear with myself, then I'll push it through. Right. Clear expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because it goes back to my whole philosophy on just personal change. The second step after awareness is that desire piece. What is your desire to change? So if you don't want to change that about yourself, if I don't want to change procrastination, then I just have to own it. Mm-hmm. And then like Brene says, love yourself anyway, right? And so that's where the compassion comes in. But just as long as it's not impacting expectations or other people on your team, probably, I would mm-hmm. imagine, if you have clear expectations. Mm-hmm. Well, and and again, going back to like checking in, right? Like what is the support that you need, you know, to make sure that the impact isn't there, you know? And so maybe it's somebody else managing your calendar or, you know, that's not your case. That would be more Brene's case, right? Or if you do procrastinate, what's the ripple effect later on and just being, you know, and understanding that and building in that space there. Right. And I think, you know, another great example too is last week, again, speaking on imposter syndrome, people put expectations, their own belief system on who you are as a person, because you're supposed to have all the answers on imposter syndrome then. (laughs) And so the interesting part about that is for me, anytime I speak to a large group, I'm nervous, Mm -hmm. but that's different than feeling like you're an imposter. Mm Mm-hmm. So I've kind of, I've come full circle on that to say, I do have challenges with imposter syndrome at some point, right? And that's where the compassion comes in. But nervousness to me is just part of speaking. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm not nervous about speaking, I probably shouldn't be doing it. Because now it's just second nature. Now, my nervousness is that I don't sleep the night before and I'm super, you know, up all night and all this other stuff. So yes, would I like to get a handle on that? Absolutely. I don't know what to do with that, but I got to figure that out. But I think that that I'm okay being nervous because it does give me the energy then when I do speak. Mm-hmm. Well, there's that adrenaline. Like, I don't know. I don't know about that idea. Like if I don't get nervous, I shouldn't do it then. Like we get, we get into this black and white thinking, right? Like it's about taking those nerves and being able to channel it. And so again, you know, a lot of Olympians, they go through this Olympic hangover, right? Because they have all that emotional energy and they are really focused with it. And then afterwards they're just exhausted. But, you know, especially at the Olympics, like if you have, if you're Caleb Dressel and you have a lot of races, especially towards the end of the week, you can't go that eight days without sleeping. So learning how to take care of that and knowing how to manage that energy so that you can use that adrenaline for the times that are really appropriate, right? First, so for a race, it'd be the race time. The The big thing is that I think we're always a work in progress. We're not like, oh, I've, I've mastered it, right? Like, or, oh, I now only do A plus work, right? We, we have to like lower our standards, strive for excellence, but lower our standards. 
and know that it's not a constant, that there's always can be learning, but there can always be tweaking and redoing. Yeah, that sounds tiring. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but that's, I think, why also rest is really important, right? Like having rest or going for you, going to the cabin for me, like learning over the last, I don't know, three, five years of how important it is to like not work on the weekends right? And really taking that time away. And even last spring, I had speaking engagements. And all of a sudden, I looked at my calendar. I'm like, what did I do? Because I think I had a speaking engagement on a Friday. I had one on a Sunday. And then I was doing a dare to lead training with the Air Force Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe Thursday. I can't even remember. It was like, those are like three 10-hour days on Zoom. I was like, when I booked this, it wasn't this full. So sometimes like if I don't pay attention, I can look at my calendar and go, holy moly, like that's too much. And then I need to make sure that I have really good rest following that because I'm depleted at that point. But notice how I don't beat myself up like, Corinne, you're such an idiot. It's your calendar. Why can't you schedule better? You're such a loser. What's wrong with you? That's the old voice. And I've really learned how to train myself out of that. And there's always new stuff, like stuff that came up last week for me. And I was like, my head was spinning. And I'm like, who? Because it, it, instead of not being enough, it was being too much. Right? Like, ooh, maybe I'm being too much about this from who am I to think this? And so I have been doing a lot of packing, obviously, <laughs> this last month and one more, one more week of moving and remembered how to use a dolly that I totally forgot about how to rent a U-Haul truck. Like it's been a, I was like telling my husband, I go, I've used a dolly more in this last few weeks than I have in like two decades. But I'm so thankful to my dad, Clyde, who taught me how to use a dolly and I'm a really good packer. And so my dad was a longshoreman in his 20s and my grandfather's a longshoreman. And so like, I would always say like, I'm a really good packer. Like I see space really well. Like I am not any good in the kitchen, you know, like, and I own that. I don't judge it. It's like, that's not my cup of tea. Me to entertain people would freak out. But man, give me a bunch of stuff that I need to pack up. I am like masterful at it. Right. And even last night we were unloading stuff and looked at my husband. I go, I'm really proud of myself. I'm really good at packing. And it's so interesting because in that moment, like I was totally grounded. I didn't think like, oh my God, I'm too much. Or who am I to think I'm such a great packer? Right. Maybe other longshoremen are like, lady, you have, you don't know anything. (laughs) Right. But in my little space, in my little world, I was like, look at me. I am really good. And it doesn't hurt that my husband's really not like he doesn't see space like that. (laughs) He's really poor. So it's a nice contrast for me. Like this is an arena that I'm really good at. He'll say, Corinne, it's impossible. And I'm like, I think I can figure it out. And I'm always able to figure out a way. So I just love owning that. But I can see how when we we get into owning the things that we are good at, like if you were to be able to deliver a speech where you weren't staying up at night, right? And going, wow, I really got that. And I really delivered it, you know, with that voice of who do you think you are? You're being too much. Would that voice come up? Are you asking me that question? Mm-hmm. Well, it just, I mean, cause I have that great example from last week. It didn't come up because I do, I really believe that I impacted people in different ways. And actually my husband said he's, he actually noticed the night before, he's like, you weren't as normal, nervous as you typically are before presentations such as that. And he said, especially because I know how important this one was to you. Mm -hmm. 
And I thought that was interesting. So maybe I'm not even noticing mm-hmm. that it is actually becoming, or I'm just letting it go probably, or having more compassion. Like it's not going to be perfect. Uh-huh. And by the way, I did miss three points. It's almost like, <laughs> so if I'm calling myself out on this, and I told everybody that, of course, afterwards, I'm like, yeah, well, I missed three points. I missed three, really <laughs> three strong points. But it reminded me of like when you are preparing for a wedding mm-hmm. and you get the, you know, you go through the whole wedding and, and you, you notice as somebody that organized the wedding that there were a couple of things that got missed. Nobody else saw it. Mm-hmm. It's the same. And that's where the compassion comes back into play is I'm giving myself compassion because nobody else Mm -hmm. knew that I missed those three, but wow, they may have picked up five other pieces from the presentation. So I am, I am noticing things for me as I've been working on this for three years, friends on this podcast It has been a three-year process for me and will continue obviously, but I'm getting better at it, Mm -hmm. but it's not easy. Even being able to receive, it sounds like even more right now, the feedback from your husband of him noticing that you weren't as nervous, right? So the story you were telling us is like, oh, you get really nervous, but there's actually been improvement. And sometimes when we're making our steady improvement, it's often so slow, we may not be able to see it. And so then those around us who are really trusted, you know, that we trust, who've earned the right to hear our stories and give us feedback, they can share with us something that we may not be able to see. And that's really important is, and sometimes the way I'll say it is, you know, you're kind of going about doing your thing and then all of a sudden you lift up your head one day and you're like, oh, I'm actually further along than I thought. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's very surprising. It's kind of like your kids when you, when you're with your kids all the time, it's hard to see their growth. Right. But then if they go to summer camp for the summer and they come home and you're like, holy moly, look how tall they got. Or if you see a friend's kids you haven't seen in a while, you can see the growth in them. Right. Mm-hmm. So going back, as we finish up, going back to, you know, is it compassion or isn't it an excuse? I think the big thing there is to check in. One is like on your example of if you are leading a team and you give somebody permission or you let them off the hook, is it because you don't want to have a hard conversation, right? And and say, you don't want to be clear because you don't want to deal with what people would say is confrontation. And so that could be more of an excuse. Are people, are you rooted more in fear or in shame and saying, oh, it won't matter anyways? Or is it true that the person can have the permission, whether you give it to yourself or if you're in a leadership, you know, that this, this is, we need to take this off. Maybe it's the three points. Maybe there was already too much stuff because it sounds like you filled your time and you're speaking, right? So those, while we think more is better, sometimes actually less is so that they have the space to be able to receive the information. Mm -hmm. I think that's interesting because I think I'm hoping that everybody got out of this, that it is still compassion. It's not necessarily an excuse. And the thing I liked about what you had said, Corinne, and I've heard this from you a million times, so you'd think I'd be able to remember it. So just totally gladiated on myself there. But anyway, (laughs) is if, if it's compassion, and you choose not, and you think it's an excuse, then what's your alternative? Mm-hmm. Right? Beating yourself up, how, is, how does that serve you? Mm-hmm. And for me, it hasn't done wonders. 
I mean, people, if you talk to overachievers, sometimes they say, oh no, that I totally, I need to beat myself up because it, it, it makes me get X, Y, and Z done, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And I, you know, I've been there. I've lived in this achievement paradigm too, but how long is, how can you sustain that? How long will that last? Well, that leads to burnout, right? right. And, that, and so like when I go in, especially like with high achievers, like in the Air Force, I talk about if you want to have a career you can sustain in the military, right? Compassion doesn't mean like, oh, it's okay. We're not going to worry about that. Compassion is like putting the problem in front of us and saying, what's working well, what can be improved, right? There's always things can be improved. And then checking in with what do I have capacity? Even checking in with, am I making an excuse or is this truly compassion? Right. And having that ability to reflect is so huge versus just beat ourselves up because it doesn't, the stick approach just doesn't work anymore. And then that's where people want to off ramp. They want to quit. Right. And it just doesn't really work. So being able to, I think that would be the other key is really reflect and check in with yourself. Am I making an excuse or is this truly compassionate? And sometimes like I know there's some stuff that I've made some choices to not do this year because of my own capacity. And I'm like, this will be interesting. Like I'm, I'm making this choice and will this get in the way of the goals that I have? You know, so like I had, I don't have an answer yet. Is this an excuse or is this truly what I need? And I'm willing to wait six months to maybe a year to find out the answer. So sometimes that's really key. I believe it's rooted in love and compassion, but it's a very different way because I used to suck it up and just do it anyways. And I'm not willing to do that anymore. I love it. I love it. Good conversation today, Corinne. I actually think it it would be interesting to have a topic talk about is our society becoming soft? So it's kind of what you had just said at the end there on the stick piece, because we know that traditional means of leadership, you know, is not effective. And so they're saying, well, this gen- these generations that are coming up are super soft. We've created them to be super soft. I'm like, well, by the way, you raised them. So <laughs> just saying. But I, I just think it's interesting because are we becoming too soft as a society? Some might say that. Well, thank you. We now have our next topic. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. All right, Laura. Well, thanks for coming on today. And we'll be talking again about our society coming soft because there's some stuff in there that I have some really good uh, content that we can talk about. So, Oh, that's going to be a good one. Good yeah. one. All right. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Corinne. As you go through your own practice of compassion, compassion is the biggest motivator for change. We've had Krista Neff on the show several times. Her research has shown it. That helps give me permission to be kinder to myself instead of being tough on myself. And remember going back to the, the baby oil you know, metaphor of, oh, it, we used to do that when we were teenagers to get ourselves really tanned. But what worked for us then doesn't work for us now. If beating yourself up worked for you to get to where you are, take small steps to check out and test out compassion in your life. And really being honest with yourself also of, are you doing this as an excuse? Or is this really the permission you need? And you're always looking at the long-term evaluation of, is this the outcome? Is this the intention? Is this the result that I want? Am I okay with the consequences? And sometimes it's a short duration of time. And like I said, when I was talking with Laura, I've got some things that I've been working on or taking off of my plate. 
And it will take me six months to a year to evaluate, did that work well for me? Did that not work well for me? And there's a lot of vulnerability in that. And that's a lot of trusting myself and saying, okay, I'm going to do this. I understand the risk. And right now I'm okay with that. So paying attention to what's going on inside when you are giving yourself compassion and practicing compassion and checking in. Is this an excuse or is this something that I really need right now? Is this truly compassion where I'm saying I'm giving myself permission to sleep? I'm giving myself permission to stop working at a certain time. Is that an excuse or is it truly compassion? It's a question we must ask and answer. And as you do that and you create more awareness, it will be a lot easier for you to move through and figure that out. All right. I'm smelling big for you. Hey there. Before we go, I have a question for you. Have you subscribed to the show yet? This is an awesome opportunity for you to preserve your brain juice. I love the fact that I can subscribe to podcasts and television shows and they go straight to my iPhone or they go straight to my DVR and then I don't have to worry of, oh no, especially with television shows. Did I hit record? Is it going to be there? Or now do I have to watch it on demand and go through all the commercials? So go and hit the subscribe button. There's a link in the show notes and that will ensure you that you never miss a show and you can also save your brain juice for other things in your life. There's way more important things, but you and I will still be connected because the show will be waiting for you in your phone. Go to the link in the show notes, subscribe to the show so you can automatically get all the shows to your phone. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.